It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants Mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Happy Thursday, everybody. John Schmelk and Jeff Fiegel's with you. It's all presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Thank you for being with us, everybody. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you certainly can. And if you want to check out the archive of this program or all of our other podcasts, make sure you check out the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find it on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and on all your favorite podcast platforms. Mr. Jeff Fiegels, good afternoon. How are you, sir? Hello, John Schmelk, Mr. Podcast, Podcast, Podcast. Everything's podcast. It's in your vocabulary. It is a big part of my job. So, yes, yes, <laughs> yes that, that is. is true. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, by the way, and, and I, this will give me a chance to promote it now. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, this morning we, we posted up a uh, Giants Rewind, our rewind from this week. I had David Deal on, and, guys, he was great. Uh, we did some stuff on the defense, but we also did a, you know, he did a bit of a deep dive on Daniel Jones. And on the offensive line, he, got, he gave me stuff on Thomas Parrot and Lemieux specifically, individually, then as a group. So, And he also talked about the offensive and defensive schemes and how they've kind of come together over the course of the year. So it was really good stuff, and I really encourage you guys to go listen to it. Very good. I will check it out later. Yeah, you guys should definitely check that out. And we had coach press conferences today. We're not going to play back any full pressers or anything like that, Jeff. But I thought the coaches did have some very interesting things here. So I got a couple sound bites from Patrick Graham, Giants defensive coordinator, one from Jason Garrett, and one from Joe Judge. I want to start here. And Patrick Graham was asked, I believe, was Jordan Renan asked a question about how much more they're able to do now they've gotten a few weeks into this season. Uh, as opposed to earlier in the year after this limited offseason. This is how Patrick Graham answered the question. Well, the beauty of how we've installed and how Joe laid it out that he wanted us to, you know, to talk to the guys, we spent a lot of time in the spring. And again, learned this from Flo, learned this from uh, Brian Flores, learned this from Matt Patricia, learned it from Bill, that install the core concepts. So install cover three. Don't worry about whatever the call is for cover three, install the version of couple, cover three. What's a curl flat? What's a hook curl? If they can understand that and the whole group can understand it, then you can have 10 calls that are still cover three, but people are in different spots. So we took our time to do that. And that's why I've learned over my career. That's the best way to do it, to be able to be more multiple as you push down the, um, down the year. So whether it's cover two or whatever it may be, like just making sure they understand what the core concepts are. So I can say, okay, now Jordan, here, you go play this spot and cover. You're like, well, I was playing it, but well, let's just play this spot. It's the same thing. You were in the same meeting, right? Okay, same meeting, same technique, go do that. So obviously it grows as time goes on. It goes on, but like, you know, again, <laughs> I'm just telling you, we're not doing that much stuff. <laughs> I know everybody thinks we're not, we're not doing that much stuff. We, we just try to do what we're, we can we could execute and, um, the guys are trying to do it at a high level. We got ways to go in terms of improvement. I got, obviously got to do a better job of coaching and a better job of um, getting to understand all the fine details of it and also calling the game. But, you know, it comes from the hard work they put in the spring in the Zoom meetings, to be honest with you. They, you know, you could talk to all, I mean, I was assume like even Dalvin could tell you what a curl flat, what the job of the curl flat is. So. <laughs> 
That's Patrick Graham. And, Jeff, I thought it was really interesting because one thing I noticed against Tampa Bay, and look, the Giants have morphed into a heavy zone team this year. That's just what they've done. And, frankly, it's smart. When you don't have great experience cover corners, what are you going to do? You're going to play more zone, right? You want to keep things in front of you, prevent the big plays, which they did against Tampa Bay. Now, Brady missed a couple throws down the field, but for the most part, they kept things in front of him, didn't let things get over the top. And the guys have just been very disciplined. And what I've been impressed by is exactly what Graham said. They're playing these basic defenses, mostly cover two and cover three are their two primary zone coverages. But they're able to disguise what it is pre-snap. They're able to, because of their defensive line doing so well, play those two safeties deep, which allows you to morph into different coverages. You're able to... You know, because of the versatility of players like Logan Ryan, play these guys in different spots because they have the ability to play corner responsibility, safety responsibility. And based on what he said there, that's how they teach it. So it allows you to play some simple defenses, which keeps it simple for players. But then you just have the players understand different spots within that defense and the simple technique they have to use, which allows you to be versatile, variable, and multiple, but not complicate things for the players on the field. Yeah, and I think the big word is complicate because, you know, when you have guys coming and going, I mean, remember this. He talks about how good those guys worked in the spring. Look at that lineup right now in the back secondary. Those guys aren't, weren't, they weren't all there in the spring. So I think you need to keep things very basic and, and rather being the jack of all trades, being able to do a bunch of things good, you should be able to do a few things extremely well. And I think that he talked about the cover two, cover three concepts. Those are the things that if you work on those and you understand them, I think he went out and got the, the Giants went out and got players that could play those concepts and they do very well at it. And by the way, did you see what happened last week? They changed up a lot of their coverages to try to confuse Tom Brady, which is difficult. You know that. It's very difficult to confuse that guy. He's been around forever. They did a nice job at it. And by the way, every time he went to throw the ball, with exception to a few in the first quarter, those, they were covered. He's just Tom Brady making Tom Brady throws. Um, but I was able, you know, the Giants were able to get good coverage on those guys. And they're just, and you know, when you look at last year, John, you look at uh, James Betcher and his defense, his defense was, was known to be very difficult to run. But to me, he never veered away from that difficulty. He forced the guys to be able to run it. And all of a sudden, it just didn't work sometimes. And you got, I mean, have we seen the free runners running down the middle of the field like we did last year? No, no we have because of what you just said and how, how Patrick Graham is basically has, has put in the foundation of what his, run, his defense is going to be run like. Now, in fairness to, to, to James Betcher, there were some very simple times where, you know, DeAndre Baker was just supposed to be in a cover three or a cover four, and he just doesn't play his responsibilities. And that, that, that's not on Betcher because that's yeah. a simple scheme. But yes, and I think Graham has, saw the, has seen the strength of his players and, and he's played into it, which I think is really, you know, the most important thing. Because I guarantee you, if I, if I snuck up behind Patrick Graham and I stuck him with some truth serum, right? And I said, Coach, I mean, really, let's be honest for a second. You'd prefer to just play a lot more cover one and play a lot more man-to-man, right? I promise you, or at least I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I bet you he'd say, yeah, of course I like to play more man-to-man. But he knows because of the situation they're in with, you know, DeAndre Baker not being here, uh, Sam Beal opting out, injuries and, and just not having the number of experienced corners on the roster outside of Bradbury, that's not the best way to go. And we talked about how all offseason, how this coaching staff would adjust to their personnel, and I think this is a perfect example a good of job. that. Yeah. yeah. I, on both offense and defense and special teams. I mean, you look at the way that they do their chameleon every week. 
Um, and, you know, they didn't lie to us when they when Joe Judge said that that's what they're going to be. Patrick Graham mentioned the word, you know, the buzzword in the offseason was multiple. Yes, they are. They are definitely multiple. I mean, listen, I was I was watching this game. Uh, I told you this before we came on, and I was noticing that I haven't seen it since. But um, Leonard Williams and B.J. Hill in the Washington game were playing outside stand-up linebackers. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's, we haven't seen that since, right? So it's, every week is different. They're going to bring a different type of attitude and formations and everything you can to throw at the opponent to try to get the best way, edge to win. Yeah, That's what they got to do. I don't remember who broke it down. One of our guys broke it down on, on the coach's tape. It was either Banks. I think it was Carl Banks he did it on, a, on his James Bradbury inside the film room a couple weeks ago. And it was actually from the Washington game where, and this is a perfect example of what Patrick Graham was talking about, the Washington, and we're being much better this week with that, by the way, ran a yeah. three by one well. ran a three by one set. So what that means for fans, they have one eligible receiver on the right side of the line and three eligible receivers on the left side of the line. And the Giants, and their only receiver on the right side was the tight end on the line of scrimmage. So the only player the Giants had by the tight end was Logan Ryan. And on the other side of the field, they had their cornerbacks. And it looked like they were lined up. And when you see that, Jeff, and the corner moves with the wide receiver – you're thinking man-to-man, right? Because it looks like the guys are lined up player by player. Well, the Giants ran a cover three out of that. And James Bradbury, instead of playing the outside responsibility in cover three, ended up playing the inside slot responsibility in a cover three. And he dropped right back into the passing lane, and that's how they got that interception of Kyle Allen in that game. So mm-hmm. it's just one of the examples of how they're using different formations to confuse the opposing offense, and that and that and that particular play, I remember. I just I was just watching the game. In that particular play, they did confuse Allen because how many times do you see James Bradbury in the slot position? You Never. know, he he was not, and so it confused him. And by the way, they have a relationship, right? They played they played on the same team together. So add that in with a little of experience, at, to mention the kind of confusion on Allen's part turns into a big play by James Bradbury. Hopefully we see a lot of those this week. Yeah, the other, nice. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I want to add, too, is that the job the Giants' defensive front has done, and we've talked about how this is a passing league, run defense, maybe not quite as valuable as it used to be, but in the Giants' case, with Tomlinson and Lawrence and Williams up front, Jeff, the Giants rarely, if ever now, bring that extra safety into the box unless it's an obvious run situation like a third and short or another team is trying to leak clock and it's a first and ten. They're always just letting that, that front six or seven, whether you're in base or nickel, stop the run. And they don't have mm-hmm. to bring that extra safety up. And that'll, and when you don't have to have that safety in the box, it makes it a lot easier to disguise your coverages when you have two safeties deep because that can morph into cover three, cover two, cover four, cover six. You can do anything out of two safeties deep. It's a little bit more complicated when you have that extra safety up near the line of scrimmage. You know, it's much harder. I mean, when you're taking one one guy away from coverage and trying to dedicate him to stopping the run, I mean, you make a good point. These guys don't need that. And the only time you really see that guy, that safety in the box, is maybe if they're going to disguise one, a blitz out of him, or they back him out of there and he gets back into coverage. So I think it's a, it's a great um, asset to have and one that has been earned. I mean, those guys are, are playing well against the run. They, they do a good job, and they're big. That's why, uh, you know, that's Dave Gettleman's big, big thing is trying to get big offensive linemen and big defensive linemen, and those guys take up some space for that running game. And, Jeff, you said it. The offensive side of the ball has done the same thing, and I thought Jason Garrett took a few games to figure out exactly what he had here and what he had to do in order to succeed, and sure, I think we've sure. seen 
a big improvement in terms of how the offense is being run. Uh, the run game, a lot more power, gap, counter, you know, that sort of stuff. Not as much, you know, stretch plays and, and things of that nature. And this line's doing better with that simpler downhill, you know, duo-type power scheme. And number two, I think the way he's adjusted the pass scheme to protect the offensive line from these pass rushes have helped. And you know me, I'm one, I want to spread it out a little bit. I like to pass on first down. I like to, you know, do those sorts of things. But given how this team's constructed, you can't play that way. You can't do some five-step drop out of shotgun on first down. Because guess what? They're not going to protect long enough for Jones to make those plays for you. So he's done a great job of using max protection, sliding the pocket, quick game. He used a lot of RPOs against Tampa on, on Monday, for example and Max Protect to give Jones the ability to make some plays even though that protection isn't allowing those traditional five, seven-step drops that you would want in a vertical downfield passing game. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I, when you can run the football like the Giants, I mean, listen, the Giants are not they are not the best in the league at running the football. But they're competent. They're, getting, they're, competent. they're competent. They're getting better, which allows you to do some play action, which then freezes your linebackers, okay? So on first down, if you – if you like to throw on first down, which John Schmelk does, um, because you're running the football, they have to respect it. So yep. maybe play action work. Some motion will work in there. So those are all good things, and I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with Jason Garrett. Talk about time. I mean, listen, I think that you can really I, – I keep saying listen. I know you're listening. Um, this, it takes a time to learn your personnel. It takes time to understand the, you know, what these guys do well and what they don't and then try to put it all together – and we also mentioned that, you know, this, this offense in the offseason was being designed for Saquon Barkley. And now that he got hurt, they had to kind of, you know, readjust that to who the new running backs are. And, you know, you have Freeman in there now, and you've got, uh, you know, you got Morris and, and all the other guys. Gallman, they, these are all different running types of running backs. So you have to kind of design plays that, to make them succeed. Okay, and so that's what that's what Jason Garrett has been doing. And then not to mention, hopefully you're getting better play out of that offensive line to be able to run the football. Right. All right. Now let's, I'll skip the second Patrick Graham cut because it's kind of just a, uh, an aside sure. thing, which I think is interesting. We'll get to it later in the show if we have time because I want to make sure we get to the callers. Uh, here's the cut from Jason Garrett. Obviously, a lot of the calls the last couple of days has been about Daniel Jones. And I figured let's hear from the offensive coordinator. He was asked about how difficult it is to coach a quarterback to be willing to give up on a play and either take a sack or throw it away instead of trying to make something happen. Here's Jason Garrett. Oh, I think that's the nature of, of most quarterbacks. Uh, you know, quarterbacks uh, who are worth their salt have a playmaking instinct in them. They want the ball in their hands and they want to be the guy who's, who's guiding the offense but making an impact on what goes on on the field. And I would say every quarter, quarterback I've been around who's been a really good player uh, you know, has that same instinct. And, and, and over time, you learn uh, through experience, you know, what plays you simply have to fold on and you have to get the ball out of your hand and, and live for another day. And, you know, whether it's punting on the drive or just simply going to second and 10, I think that's an important thing to understand. And, you know, the more situations you're in, if you approach them the right way, you'll learn from those experiences. And, uh, you know, Daniel continued to do that. You know, most guys I've been around, have gone through that, that that very similar process. And he was asked as part of that question, by the way, Jeff, if he had any of the other quarterbacks that had to get that stuff coached out of him. And yeah, I mean, do you remember Tony Romo earlier in Tony Romo's career? The type mm. of crazy stuff that guy tried to do at the end of plays? And he had a big turnover issue 
especially earlier in his career. So I got to imagine this is probably similar to the type of stuff Garrett was trying to get through to Romo at the start of his career. I, I, you know, listen, I, I believe it. Those guys, Tony Romo wanted the ball. He still wants the ball in the booth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, th- that's the type of quality that you would re- really want in a quarterback. And I, I think that Daniel Jones has that quality, but he just has to learn. I mean, you heard, you heard uh, Jason say on second and 10, go to third and 10, right? Well, or first and 10, go to second, whatever it is. I mean, the two interceptions last week came on second downs. You know, just live for another day. Yeah, live for another down. If you don't get the third and long because you just got sacked or you got a penalty, um, at least you're going to punt the football down and give your defense a chance who's playing well um, to get the ball back for you. So I, I, I understand, and I've, and I've said this before on, on the show with Paul the other day, is that, yes, it's an acquired trait. It's, a, it's like a fine wine. It's going to get better as it goes. And Sooner or later, he's going to understand it or not. He's going to be out of the league. That's just the way every position is. If you're asked to do things at a certain position, John, and you're not doing them uh, to the level that you're supposed to, whether you're Daniel Jones or even Saquon Barkley or whoever, they, you know, you're going to have to start playing the way that everything is supposed to be run. And he'll get there. He'll get there. You hope. You hope. Yeah, it's just going to take time. And look, the results have, and the results have not been what you want them to be this year. Now, I think Jones has done a better job in general of getting the ball out faster this year. Well, I think, last week he did. Yeah, yeah I think that's yeah. one thing he's gotten better at, which is important. Uh, there are other things that he hasn't improved on as much, like like getting to that second read a little bit quicker. Um, well, let's go there. Being, can I, can being I ask little, you something? Yeah, please, go ahead. Because, look, so you, this, I think you're breaking, this is a great point, and I think it will sum up a lot of uh, questions that people are having with Daniel Jones. When, when the play starts out, Okay, and you're getting the ball out of your hands quickly. There isn't a lot left to develop, right? I mean, so you're, it's a bam, bam play. It's a it's a shotgun snap, one one foot in the ground, maybe a little play action, and throw the ball. As you take more time in the pocket and sit there, the defense is is basically they're 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 looking at you, going, okay, I've got you now. Yeah, right. I know what yeah. you're going to do. And so then what happens? The game starts to speed up, and now you're forced to throw the ball either to your one, two, or three reads, or get rid of it, and you're processing all of this within, what, five seconds? No, less than so, that. Less than I mean, try two and I'm a half. You a lo- I'm giving you a lot of seconds there. But my point is, is that this to a young quarterback, okay, who is still learning this game, and learning a new system, putting it all processing going through, you're going to make some mistakes. Now, you just don't hope that he's making uh, he doesn't make the mistakes as much as he is but eventually that'll change it's just all about timing getting used to the speed of the game and getting used to that experience in the game it's huge and not only for Daniel Jones but for all the younger guys too everybody left tackle right guard whoever you it is you know or left guard those guys have to get used to the speed of the National Football League it's unlike anything you've ever and I've told you this before, John. You probably have listened to me when I've told you that there's times when I was punting where there was a breakdown. It was a bad snap, and I looked up, and the whole right side of the field was open. I take three steps, and the whole stupid team is there. That's how <laughs> fast it is. And that's when I'm going, oh, God, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Boom, and there it goes. The guy just crushed me. That's how fast the game is. It's so fast. People don't understand. No question about it. Jojo Joso basically said during his presser that Golden Tate was back today. Everything is business as usual, so people that yeah. worried about that. Uh, I want to cut from Joe Judge, but I want to make sure we get to calls first because it's already 1220. I want to make sure we get to the calls at 201-939-4513. I want to remind everybody that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by in 
uh, the New York Lottery. Make sure you get out there and play. So, Jeff, I think we start looking ahead to, to Washington now. They play them on Sunday, and this is a game that it's weird. The Giants have only played two games since that contest, and Washington has played only one. That mm-hmm. throttling they did to the Cowboys. They had a bye week last week. So That's right. this is going to be two very familiar teams going up against each other after a game where it was extraordinarily close and went right down to the final play. It did, and looking at the game, um, this was a game of two quarters. If you remember, um, in the second quarter, towards the end of the second quarter, Giants had an opportunity to get the ball back, forced the, the punt, but they roughed the punter. Uh, got a five-yard penalty, and Riverboat Ron went for it on fourth down. They went down, and they scored a touchdown at the end of the half. And then again, you saw what happened at the end of the game, in the fourth quarter. So the second and the fourth quarter was the Achilles heel of the Giants all season. That's really what it came down to, is those two quarters of the game, very close game. Uh, and as they always are normally, you know, the division games, John, you know, are very close. They know the personnel. Everybody knows each other. And to your point, the, the Redskins only played one game since the last time they, they lost to these guys. So, and it was on one play. So the defense for, um, excuse me, for the offense for the Washington team is going to have a little bit of uh, venom in their mouth. They're going to want to be coming after this Giants team after losing on that two-point conversion. All right, let's get to the calls at 201-939-4513. Giant fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. All right, let's go to Travis in Queens. He'll be first. Travis, what's up, pal? What's up, fellas? How you guys doing? Good. How are you, Travis? Good, good. Um, John, I think, what, last week we spoke about the O-line. And, yo, I must say, man, they Andrew Thomas, that was his best performance, I think, all year. He looked it. He looked like it was funny because everything you said with Sean O'Hara said, you know what I mean? It looked like that was his homework, like, like for the bar because, you know, he was like, he was on, you know, it was a beautiful thing to see and play that well. Um, yeah, you know, he was. I agree, awesome. Travis. Another thing, too, is that remember that I'll just make the point I did before. Jason Garrett didn't ask these guys to sit back there and protect for five seconds or three seconds or four seconds. They made sure they called plays to not put these guys out on islands. Right, right, and 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 one thing Garrett said a few weeks ago that that um, I would say goes to Andrew Thomas' uh, credit would be that he said you know he was comparing that uh, uh, I forgot oh um Smith Byron Smith I think the tackle for the Cowboys was uh, saying you know as many reps as he would get, but one thing about the Giants we never had a Demarcus Lawrence for him. To, uh, you know, go up again in a sense, you know, with that type of talent for him to get better. Whereas, you know, all his other pairs, Andrew Thomas, all the other rookies, they have a better uh, defensive, you know, lineman players that, you know, they can see what they might see in real in real, in real game speed, you know. Like you take the uh, Tristan Wirth and uh, uh, Jared uh, Willis, you know, they got, they got big time players on the other side. You know what I mean? That give them a better understanding of the game versus Andrew Thomas. You know, our defensive line is good, but, you know, they got stars over there. So, you know, they could get more more done, more reps in, and it look more better. Um, my second point is in that game with the uh, 
hatred, right? Then you like Daniel Jones to me, the way, especially even the commentators, they were saying, you know, oh, Daniel Jones better be Catholic. It, it looked like a picture in the sense that, you know, to me, Daniel Jones need to be on a leash a little bit as far as like throwing the ball away and stuff like that. Like when he threw that ball away, I was like, oh my God, you should have did that a few a few plays ago before, you know what I mean? But I think that was um the first time Daniel Jones played the game where he actually, you know, he gave the game away. I never I throughout his career I never seen him do that before where he just, you know, gave the game away in a sense he was up fourteen going in half time with the ball and the whole nine. Um my second um, my last point question, right? Would you guys trade even though it's over? But would you do uh, it, uh, Evan Ingram for O.J. Howard? And thanks for my call. Appreciate the call, Jeff. Well, O.J. Howard has a very serious injury. Is it ACL, Achilles? It's one or the other. So, yeah. I mean, I'd be well, very. If they were both, if they were both healthy, no, I wouldn't. I, I, I think that I think that Jace, um No, I would not. I think Evan Ingram is such more of an athlete and can bring more to the position. I think Howard is a good athlete. I mean, obviously a good player, but he's a bigger blocker, and I don't think he's as as a uh, you know, I think dynamic is, is Evan Ingram. Now, can we, can Evan Ingram play a little bit better? Of course he can. But I think that, you know, and all the people that said, oh, why didn't we trade Evan Ingram? Well, it just goes to show you why they didn't trade him. Because they believe in him and they believe that he can make plays for you. I mean, he, he had a lot of targets last week. Lots of luck. Lot, I'm going to look that up. He had 10. I know it had to be at least 10. He had 10. Yeah, okay, there 10. you go. 10, yeah. So, no, that's my answer. Okay. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. Let's go to Maurice in Montclair. He's up next. Maurice. What's going on, gentlemen? What's up, Maurice? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Uh, I just want to run through a few thoughts very quickly. Uh, I'm going to start off with Daniel Jones. This is what I see when I look at Daniel Jones. I look at a young quarterback, extremely talented. He can use his legs. He can throw. He's accurate. As far as turnovers and some of the things we witnessed, I feel like this is a young guy feeling like he has to move mountains by himself, feeling like he has to press a lot and do a lot to kind of make sure that the team is successful. And that leads to a lot of turnovers. So moving the page on from him, I think going into next season, because look, fellas, it's the halfway point. We kind of know what we got with the Giants. We see what type of product this is. Although wins and losses is the business, the moral side, you have to look at, and I think it speaks highly and it speaks a lot to the coaching staff that we have now. There's a lot of good teachers there. I see these guys coming game in and game out, giving their best efforts, and it's things that we could clean up and it's things that are very correctable. I think in the off season to, to keep some continuity, because that's very, um, Jeff knows, you know, playing on football teams, continuity is very important. I think we should spend a decent amount of our assets by keeping guys like Dalvin Thomason and, and guys like Jabril Peppers because you know what? When the Giants uh, mobile app put out uh, the sights and sounds when they did uh, Jabril mic'd up, I like what he's doing out there. He's communicating, and that's what you want. And keep a guy like Logan Ryan around here. These are type of, like, players that fit that Giants mold. And I feel like, you know, you keep some, some, some guys that's, that's key guys in here, in-house, and I think that moving forward the Giants, the Giants will be successful. You know, we just need a few more playmakers somebody that's going to attack the edges and really present a rush to opposing offenses. And I think the Giants will be fine. You know what I mean? Like, it's cool. Like, you know, I, I argue with a lot of my friends, and I tell them, like, oh, it's fine, because I see the page turning. And, you know what I mean, before you know it, we'll be back. You know what I mean? That's all I have. So I love you guys. Thank you, Maurice. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Yeah, Jeff, good. what do you think? 
I think I think he's um, he hits a lot of good points. I mean, I, to start with the coaching staff, I think Joe Judge did an outstanding job putting the staff together. When you look at the the pedigree of a lot of these coaches, I mean, you got some head you got head coaches on this team. You've got guys that have been in the league a long time. You've got a, a defensive back coach who actually played the position. Yeah, Jerome uh, Henderson. Yep. For 10 years. So I, I think that, that that means a lot. And you know what's funny you, about the coaches? Did you, you look at that staff that Tampa Bay has? Those guys all played. I mean, you had Antoine Randall L. You had uh, oh, yeah. guys over. I mean, former uh, Steelers. Leftwich. They're all guys I, from the Steelers. Sir. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, that, you know, that means something. That, and, and part of what I mean by that is that guys that have been around a while, they've been in the league, they understand protocol, they understand on and off the field stuff. And, and more importantly, Joe Judge wanted teachers. I, I feel like these guys are all really, really good teachers and are teaching the positions, which I think in the long run will help this team uh, going forward. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Uh, Jeff, it's actually a very good uh, throw here because oh, a, a big thing we talked about this offseason and when a lot of big Deals were being made about Joe Judge making his players run laps and being a disciplinarian if they're going to buy in and he's some kind of tyrant. Well, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you listened or read the transcript of Logan Ryan's conference of call yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And he told a great story for the fans that didn't hear it about how his wife was down in Florida checking on a house and doing something else, and she was having a medical issue. I won't get into the details. It's not important. But he basically told the coaching staff, and they said – uh, he, and they gave him some good medical advice to give to his wife. She went to the hospital, and they, they ended up preventing what could have been a serious problem by getting her to the hospital. And Logan Ryan was just making the point that, you know, the team is helpful in a lot of different ways. In this case, the medical staff communicated to his wife based on her symptoms she should go to the ER, and that ended up evading a potential real serious issue for her. But more importantly, Logan Ryan pointed out that, Joe Judge basically said to him, look, Logan, if you need to go there to Florida, go. It's okay. And he just basically said it shows how the organization really cares about its players as more than just players. And Joe Judge was asked that question today, and he did speak about it when he talked to the media. There are some things that, you know, a guy may come to you too, and you say, hey, look, we can't miss practice or game for that. And there's other things that are real-life critical. Um, you've got to have relationships with your players that you understand, you know, what makes them tick. And they have to have a relationship with you to understand that you had their best interests at heart. Uh, we're very demanding on our players. Um, I don't apologize for that. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm very critical of our guys. I'm very blunt and honest with them. But at the same time, you know, if you genuinely care about the players you're coaching, then you can coach them hard and you can be critical because they understand at the end of the day that you're coming from a genuine place and you're being sincere to try to help them. Um, I don't want to go too far into Logan's situation. Uh, Pat mentioned me earlier that he had shared that story. I mean, just to me, look, look, um, there comes a point where you've got to keep in perspective that your job, no matter what the profession is, is your job and your family is your family. Uh, and you got to take care of your family first. So I've known Logan for some time. Um, he's a tremendous family man. But for any player in our locker room, you know, if they have a similar situation, you know, it's always going to be, you know, you put your family first. That's something I've, you know, played and worked for a lot of coaches that have always put those priorities in line. And the few exceptions uh, that I've been around more in the uh, avenue of assistance that didn't put those things in priorities, it was tough to buy into what they're trying to sell to me in a position room, to be honest with you. You know, they kind of lost me pretty fast as a player. So I always took that with me, you know, I got into coaching that, you know, you can't make it all about the X's and O's. 
Uh, as a coach, I can't ever let players feel any kind of pressure that, you know, we may feel as coaches, that's not their job. It's our job as a team to perform and improve. Um, but I'm a very big believer in relationships within a team. Um, kind of ties in a lot of what I said yesterday in terms of keeping things internally. Uh, that helps as far as keeping these relationships strong and building that trust we need to get through a lot of situations. And Jeff, it's funny. And I didn't know how right on I was, and I'm not. This is not meant to pat myself on the back here, but when we got all those calls back in August about training camp, the point I always made is that Joe Judge was building a relationship with these guys, and it wasn't just drill sergeant yell at you, I hate you, do this, do that, you know, scream, scream, scream. This is build a relationship, show that I care about you as people. You trust that I'm what I'm doing is in your best interest, and I'm trying to make you a better player, which eventually will make that player more money, which is really, you know, not the whole point, but it's a big point of why these players are doing what they're doing, right? They're trying to make a living. That it allows them to be very precise and critical with their film review and their film sessions and holding them to a high standard on the field because they treat them so well as people off the field. And I think that's exactly what Joe Judge was talking about there. And I think it just cements his style as a coach and as a teacher to try to make sure these players buy in. And it's probably a big reason why, despite the record, which is bad, this team is still working their rear end off for him and his coaching staff. 100%. 100%. I think the – I think the uh, – I'm trying to think of the word I could use here. The defining moment, if you will, in training camp was that picture or that video when he decided he, he was going to go in the mud just like everybody else. Um, I think that kind of proved to, to his point that I'm just like you guys, you know. Um, and I think that you also make the point that – and I've been there. I've been on teams where coaches will just, they will yell and scream at you where you don't feel like a, a, a normal human being. You feel like, you know, you come to work, you get screamed at, and there's really no end in sight to it. Um, but it's hard to work in that type of atmosphere. And that builds. That builds animosity. It builds in the, the guys on the team all of a sudden just start wanting to quit because they're, this isn't a good situation. Joe Judge has learned that that's not what you do, you know, and I think that, and, and John, you've worked for this organization a long time. I have too. This is the way the Giants do things. Um, it starts from the top. So, yeah, Joe Judge, that's, he would, uh, he's a good person. He would probably do that for any other player on the team in any situation he was with, whether it's this team or any other team. But the Giants, that's the way they do things in that building. Uh, Ronnie Barnes and his staff, I can tell you this from firsthand experience with my medical issues. They took care of me like you could not believe. To this day, they still check on me. So, you know, that's just the way they do things. And back to your point about guys wanting to, you know, when you're in the building in a meeting room and you're getting screamed at, well, that's just the meeting room because you know when you leave that meeting room that it's not personal. And he treats you like a regular person after you get out of there. Trust me, if, if we had the old cliche of the fly on the wall, boy, I, we would be sitting here going, did you hear what he just said to so-and-so? <laughs> I'm telling those meetings are dangerous. You get inside of those, they are, they're ripping them. They're ripping them, but you're, they're, they're, they're people. And that's the way they have to be treated too. Now, is that one of the ways that, that coach Coughlin adjusted a little bit? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. But in fact, it's a good point because you know, when he first came here, he, he's a, you know, you know, Tom, he's a, he's a wonderful person. But he's so intense, 
and that sometimes that let that got in his way of of dealing with players because it was either his way or the highway. Um, then he kind of lightened up a little bit and understood that okay, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. The league is changing, and I need to be more of kind of I don't know I don't want to use the word considerate. I don't need I need to be a little bit more uh, willing to le- listen and learn. And he did. He kind of you know he never he never. He never went back on his rules. Yeah, and Jeff, by the way, that doesn't mean that he's nicer and considerate and accepting no. of mistakes on the field. It just no means way. that you communicate with people a different way. Okay, that's a perfect word. It's the way he communicated with the players. Before, when he got here, the first time he was here, the first couple of years, his communication skills were not that great with the players. They became better, and then all of a sudden players started to play for him. That's what happens. It's good for Joe Judge. I mean, listen, I, I, I think that it's, it's great, and I, I'm, I'm happy that everything worked out for Logan Ryan and his wife. And, um, and you know, the, yeah, those are just those are things that you just count your blessings and that people are, out, are there to look out for you. And um, he went to the right people. He asked the right people, and they gave him the right answer. So that's awesome. Yeah, and again, he said, look, if you have to mispractice, mispractice. And he understands that's more important, which, which it is. And, and, 100%. And it's, and it's real good to hear that. And by the way, that is – the way the whole organization deals with issues like that, too, by the sure. way. It's yep. With the Maras it it's, and, the, and, and the Tishes, it's always family first. That's and I will tell you this, no John, after being that. with five teams, a lot of people probably think that that's the way that every organization is that's run. That's a good point. It's not. It's not. Um, let me tell you, it's not. I, I just The way that they do things top to bottom, all the way from John Mara down to the equipment guy you know, or to the field guy, they, they all are treated equally. They're just so good. And, and it's just, it's why nobody leaves the Giants. Everybody loves to work there. It's great, great atmosphere. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. We do have a couple open lines, folks. If you want to get in and talk some football, we'll look ahead to Washington as well. Please feel free. Give us a call. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Bob and Parsippany is on hold, and let's get to him next. Hey, Bob. Hi. Uh, hi, John and Jeff. Uh, thank Hello. you for taking my call. You're um, earlier, can you hear me? Yeah, we yeah, got you. We got you. Okay. Uh, earlier, um, you guys talked about uh, how well the defensive line has been playing, and I would like to take that one step further. I think that they are the best three-man front in the whole NFL, and they're all in their prime. Yeah, they might be. They and might Mar- be. Mm-hmm. And, Mart- and, and Martinez is a perfect backup for them. Yep. Now, um, I'm no fan of Gettleman, but this is the one unit where he has had success. And unfortunately, two out of those three, Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson, at the end of the year become free agency. And in my opinion, um, I, I think Gettleman needs to keep this unit intact and to extend their contracts now before they hit free agency. What do you guys think? Well, I, a couple things, Bob. I agree. I think this is mm-hmm. the strongest individual unit on the team, and I think Jeff agrees with that too. Mm-hmm. They play great. Now, this is where it gets tricky because you already used Sorry. a first-round pick on Dexter Lawrence, right? Both these guys, you know, you're not going to franchise Leonard Williams a second time, more likely than not, because the number gets very high. So you're right. going to have to deal with both guys as unrestricted free agents. And it's hard to invest a lot of your salary cap space to players that don't necessarily impact the passing game a ton. Now, Leonard Williams is getting sacks this year, so maybe you can make that argument. And just putting that many resources into one position group can be tough, uh, especially in, in terms of extending them now when you don't know what the cap's going to be. It really be makes it hard 
to commit that sort of money now. And you wonder, based on the cap, Bob, to your point, I know. You, I guess your general idea is if you extend them now, you don't have to face the open market. You might get them a little bit cheaper, right? That's your idea. The thing, that's part of it. Right. Yes. But, and, and the thing about it is maybe because of the market and the cap and COVID and no fans and less revenue, maybe this year's free agent market isn't going to be as rabid where people are throwing out those huge contracts. So maybe you're not going to have quite the battle you would have in other mm-hmm. years. But, look, I'm with you. I think it's a strength. I'd love to have all the guys back, but that's going to be a real, real tough fit to yeah. get everybody into the financial yeah. structure of the team. Yeah, I would just I would spend the money on these two guys, and if that means I could I can't get any other free agents, then so be it. This unit works. I want to keep it intact. I guess my question, for, for, uh, well, Bob, real quick, I want to ask you a question. Would you rather have? What if I told you, you can have both Dalvin and Leonard back, or you could have Dalvin back and a very good second cornerback? Which would you prefer? I would I would take. Uh, um, Dalvin, I would still take Dalvin and and, uh, and Williams, okay, and Leonard Williams, and then I, I would go for a, a, I'd look for a cornerback in the draft. And, and by the way, I really maybe I'm, maybe that's a mistake because I don't trust um, um, Gettleman picking a cornerback in the draft. He has not had good success All right, so Bob. far. He's had better success. Okay, I appreciate yeah. the call, my friend. Anyway. Yeah. Hey, well, by the way, case, and look, and look, and look, and we can't argue that Sam Beal has not worked out. Andre Baker obviously didn't work out, but we'll see about Darnay Holmes. I think mm-hmm. he's shown some promise this year. We don't know what he's going to be yet, but he's shown some promise. And remember, Gettleman did draft Bradbury in the second round with Carolina, mm-hmm. so he has drafted corners in the past. But yes, the sure. last couple picks again, Holmes excluded. I understand why you would be concerned. Go ahead, uh, Jeff, your, I'm sorry. And, and to, well, that's okay. I was going to say is with with your um, your choices there. If you're gonna if you're gonna keep Tomlinson, and you're gonna go get a corner, I mean you're you're gonna have to pay one of those. You know someone's gonna someone's gonna make a lot of money there. Well, yeah. See, <laughs> so. and, and, well, and the reason I picked that combination, Jeff, is I you know because Leonard is gonna have some sacks this year. He's probably uh-huh. gonna get a bigger contract than Dalvin, right? I would think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. and as you know, corners are generally more expensive than you know non-pass rushing outside edge player defensive lineman. Now, again, Leonard Williams is rushing the passer from the inside this year. He's doing a nice job. But that's why I took Williams out for the cornerback because I think those salaries will probably be a little more similar. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that I think the cap's going to be down next next year. It has to be, right? I yeah, mean, it has to be. So the floor so that's is going to really hurt the free agent market. The floor is really 175. Is. We don't know what it's going to be, but that's the lowest it can be is 175. Yeah. I mean, it may get to there, which would really stink if you're a free agent coming up in 2021. Oh man, that's, right? You know, I think the, I think what what teams may do is they may backload some of these contracts to make up for the front end, just because. Um, but you know, I think still it's all about guaranteed money, John. You know that the guys want all that money up front, so they might have to add on another year to get get that money that they need up front to sign with the team. Yeah, and look, it's it's a tough fit. You have to choose your priorities, and bring back good players, but you have to make sure you leave enough resources to fill mm-hmm. some of those other positions of need. And we've seen, again, maybe Patrick Graham goes a different way, but we've seen people from the Belichick school prioritize defensive back play and cornerback play. So I wonder what their calculation would be. And again, maybe that's not going to be the calculation. Maybe they can save money elsewhere, and they can bring back both those guys and bring in a cornerback. Maybe they can do that. I have not 
you know, examine their salary cap situation yet to that extent. But I, my, my guess is that given the lower cap, Jeff, re-signing both those guys, I don't know if you're going to have money for another Bradbury-type cornerback contract. To me, that's going to be a real tough fit. Yeah, and if you do, if you want to, you're going to have to get rid of some some cap money somewhere at other positions and, and get rid of those guys. And, and there is now you feel now you create a void there. Yeah, and there know? aren't a lot of guys you could do that with. I mean, yeah. Sterling. I mean, maybe Golden Tate is one where sure. you know his contract. I don't think is any guaranteed money left or very little. That's mm-hmm. maybe one, but you know Nate Solder. Like you'd be fans, well, just you know let go of Nate Solder. Well, you only save like five six million dollars there, maybe, and that's it. You know he's got yeah. a lot of dead money on his contract, so. There's not a lot of options in that regard to to save a bunch next year, and that, then are you picking up the the options? On well, you already picked them up, but do you exercise the options and keep them on for Peppers and Ingram, who are going into their fifth year? So these are the types of discussions that you have to have internally. Yep, and I, you know, I, I I'm sure that they are having these discussions now because they're, you know, you see a lot of these other teams, and you know, Giants have done it before. They they extend guys during the season yeah. a certain period of time when they do it. Um, but I think this is such a, it's 2020. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the year of hell, right? I mean, nobody knows anything. So it's gotta be very difficult for the up for the management and Dave Gettleman and his capologist guys to, to try to figure out what the cap's going to be, how much we're going to do it. So it's, it's, it's very scary. Yeah, and, I've really heard, is. and I've heard some experts say that's why they think there wasn't quite as much movement at the trade deadline because teams oh, were sure. hesitant to bring on money. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, right? Yeah, because some of those guys that you want to trade for, you're going to have to bring their salary with you. And if it's the, if they can't handle it, um, then as much as they wanted the, the the player, financially they couldn't do it. So that's a good point. 201-939-4513. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Oh, and it's a full bank of calls. That's what I like to see. Let's go to Max in Newark. He joins us next on BBK. What's up, Max? Hey, John. Um, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling, man. What's up? Uh, uh, I just wanted to uh, to bring out one point. It actually kind of uh, um, spans on your what you just mentioned a little bit. Um, all the negative um, pressure we've been hearing about, you know, Gettleman and, and Jones and how a lot of fans want them to, want them to, to get rid of them for next year because they're tired of losing. But if we get rid of them, we're just going to lose longer because now you have to get a new general manager. He, he would have to take all these different things you talked about with the current players. Um, he might get rid of them, which means we're going to have to replace them somehow with the cap and with the draft. And do we really want to use a first-round pick on a new quarterback when we could use that first-round pick for something else we need much greater, such as a pass rush or a cornerback or, or – or, another position. So Max, let me tell you, the, you that your point is so on is so correct. I don't even know where to start. You know, people mm-hmm. that want to create all these extra holes and this is, you know, I was like, oh, well, Gettleman screwed up. He didn't get a pass rusher. Well, look, you could only fill X number of holes every offseason. You know, it's not like you have an unlimited salary cap and an unlimited number of draft picks. You can't wish these players into existence. So to your point, right, two years ago, if they decided not to draft Daniel Jones, they could have drafted Josh Allen, right? They would have had their pass rusher, but then they don't have a quarterback. Well, if you want to replace Jones, then maybe you get into another position. Oh, well, do you want to take uh, Trey Lance or do you want to take the pass rusher out of Miami? Well, guess what? You're not going to be able to get both of them, right? So you're going to have to choose. And you're right. The more you take guys out, the more you got to plug people in, and then holes get left unfilled. So 
you are a thousand percent right in the way you're looking at this, and you're right. Whenever you change a GM, you're going to have roster shakeup. And is, do you want another roster shakeup now? So you're right. Those are things you definitely have to take into consideration. Now, other things might outweigh those when all is said and done, when whoever when they make their decisions. But you're right. I think those are things that fans too often fail to take into consideration when they want to make so many of these changes so quickly. I interrupted you. I apologize. Finish your point. No problem. What, and basically, another thing I was thinking, and I'll take this out to your, your opinion, I believe one of the reasons why we have our offensive line is not great or could be better based on all this potential is we don't have that elite pass rusher that they deal with every single snap. I know we are a couple games in, but every single practice snap is different. If you think about good offensive lines we've had in the past, they had to go against um, Lawrence Taylor uh, Carl Banks, they've had to go, go against Strahan, Tuck, and Yumanura all at the same time. They don't have that now, so they don't have that elite pass rusher going against them every snap. This is something we could address, again, with the next year first-round pick, we could get an elite pass rusher that will only make our line better. And I, I thank you guys for having me on the air. No, Point. thank you, Max. Great, yeah, that's great what points. The, uh, the caller earlier was saying about the practices and you know having that, having that as, as Paul Dottino would call him, Batman pass rusher, to be able to go up against those guys on one-on-one -on -one practice. What everybody needs to know, too, is that those practice reps are very important. And they're, they're done on one-on-one -on -one reps because the, the number one offense rarely goes against the number one defense in practice. Um, it's their scout teams that, that run right. the opposing teams, other than training camp. So, but the one-on-one -on -one stuff... That's, that's invaluable. That's when these guys get to go up against the, the stray hands of the world and the OCs of the world, and it does make them better. Just ask all those guys, Sean O'Hara and Deal and, and Richie and all those offensive linemen that were going up against those guys on a daily basis. It did make them better. Yeah, and that's, that's a good point. And that's why the offseason is so important for development, right? That's when you get those one-on-one yeah. -on -one reps constantly. Yeah. Even the reps without pads, you're still seeing them make those moves that you get used to it, even though it's not physical. It, it's still reps. Yeah. They're reps. And by the way, they, they, those guys, they, they bounce things off of each other that's you true. know not only do the defensive mm -hmm. linemen ask the offensive linemen for for you know tricks of the trade they're vice versa so Olivier Vernon used to actually do that a lot when he went, went up against some of the younger offensive tackles in practice so yeah sure. no, I'm with you 100 percent all right let's stick on the phones and go to Clay in Brooklyn he's up next Hi, Clay. hey Clay hey guys how you doing good the show thank you um I really like the conversation you guys were having about the trenches um i love Dalvin and Dexter, and I'm a huge B.J. Hill fan. Um, I think he is um, underappreciated. I mean, I think I think Leonard Williams is a better player, but I don't think he's that much better that I'd pay him, you know, 15, 16, 18 million dollars well, a year. Well, Clay, I'll say this um, too. Even though he doesn't have the sack numbers that he did as a rookie, I think B.J. Hill's playing his best football. I think he's actually playing better than yeah. he did as a rookie, even though he doesn't have the sacks. Exactly. I have a question about, well, in keeping with that, um, it seems to me that for some reason offensive linemen are expected to be on the field every single snap while defensive linemen rotate in and stay fresh. And it looks to me that, and I argue with like, people on the fan sites about this all the time, um, that what's happening at right tackle this year, when we give Matt Pert 20 snaps a game or so, he plays better and Fleming plays better because Matt Pert's first 20 snaps are better than Cam Fleming's last 20 snaps. All right, that's fair. You get so so maybe we can do that at guard as well. Shane looked good enough to me to at least earn you know pert sized uh, you know snap load to make 
Hernandez and Zeitler play a little better when, when they don't have to play 70 snaps a game. And Zeitler's contract, I'd be happy to get rid of next year. So if they can um, give uh, Shane a little bit more time and give BJ a little more time, I think both of our trenches get better with less expensive players that keep everybody fresher and really can turn our uh, O-line into more of a strength and, and to capitalize on a D-line. I hope we keep Elwell, but it doesn't seem like we can afford all of them. If we've got to get rid of somebody, it's got to be Elwell, in my opinion. Now, look, look, I think your point is interesting, and I think you can do things like that when there isn't that big of a drop-off. Now, there have been other times where we knew heading into a year where if the Giants had to go to a backup at a position, like it was just over, <laughs> and you didn't have a chance yeah, there. But yeah. <laughs> luckily, that's that so far, and again, we don't know how, you know, the other thing we got to worry about with Parrot, and I made this point to David Deal on our Giants Rewind podcast that we posted this morning. Make sure you guys go check it out. I also want to see how Parrot does when he has to get more snaps, right? And he, there's more tape on him. And the same way defensive players have studied Andrew Thomas, they start studying Pert. Do, do they start finding some weaknesses there? So uh, I would be a little right. bit careful trying to trying to ditch Kevin Zeitler now. I think maybe no, if no, we no. get some more. Not s- now. No, I, I understand, but I think w- once you get a longer look at Lemieux over the course of the year, you can maybe have that conversation. Uh, I do think right. Lemieux mentally did a really nice job against Tampa. They did a lot of inside blitzes. I thought the the group picked them up as a whole very well. You know, we still had some issues in some one on one situations. It's rookie first game. That's expected. Sure, sure. You know, that's fine. But I, I think great D line. Correct. And I think you were. I think he showed his ability to handle things, especially mentally against a challenging team, which was good. Right. Let me ask you another question, if I may. Sure. Um, as far as the draft, I don't see a stud edge rusher. In the draft, I just I don't have enough confidence in Rousseau. He only played one year. Yep, and, 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 and that's it. Not, and it's not this year. And that's it's not it. This year. Yep. So, um, uh, Boogie Basham is the, probably the second best, and and again didn't wow me. I don't see him as a top five pick guy. I mean, if he if he's there in round two, yes, by all means. But he doesn't look like somebody I'm ready to to go to bat for. And by the way, and, and nope. again, I haven't done my work on these guys yet. The kid out of Michigan that's playing really well, what is it, Tilly? Is that his last name? Something like that? No, no, uh, Quiddy Pay. I don't think he's a traditional Quiddy edge. Pay, right. yeah, it, I, it, he seems right. like a bigger guy, right? I don't think he, I don't think he's like really an outside pass rusher, right? Right. So I don't see anybody that's just going to walk in and, and overnight be the Batman that, that, that Paul is always looking for. Um, you know, all of us are looking for the Paul is first in that way. Um, so that said... And I don't think we have to give up on Daniel Jones, although if we have the first pick, it's hard to turn down Trevor Lawrence, but I don't think we have to give up on Daniel Jones. So I'm, I'm looking at Pinay Sewell. So I guess my question is, do you, how do you guys feel about the possibility of either having a Sewell-Thomas-Kurt rotation or maybe kicking one of them inside and it's a guard and having, you know, obviously Sewell has to do it. We thought Thomas was going to do it, and he's had his struggles early, so it's not a guarantee that Sewell was going to walk in and be better than Thomas was when he started. But um, having them on the team, having Sewell and Thomas and Perk and Shane and Hernandez uh, and Gates have been playing better every week really makes me feel good about, you know, the next couple of years of our young offensive line, which makes me think we can't afford to not bring back Solder, to not bring back Zeitler, um, and, and use that money on maybe a free agent edge rusher since there's not one in the draft. Thank you for the call. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Thanks so much. No, Clay, good stuff. Thank you for calling in. We appreciate it. And Jeff, just to catch you up, uh, Penny Sewell is an offensive tackle out of Oregon 
who is the considered to probably be a top five pick, first non-quarterback sure. taken, is, is mm-hmm. likely at this point. Right. And he's considered like a can't-miss monster offensive yep. tackle type. Just FYI. So no, You can always go after the Quincy. Is it Roche or Roche from Miami? Rousseau. 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 Yeah. Yeah, another Miami guy. Yeah. Well, here's the oh, thing. Yeah. Like, you can never have enough good offensive linemen. I think the Eagles right. and the Dallas Cowboys have proven that over the years. You can't have enough good players at, on that, at that position. But after using a first and third round pick say, on tackles, <laughs> do you want to yeah. use another top ten yeah. pick on an offensive tackle? And a second uh, round of the year before that. So, I mean, yeah. 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 And, and a five this year, too, with Lemieux. So <clears> I don't <throat> know if that's a path you want to go on. I think there are a couple other guys you could talk about. Does the Penn State linebacker, Micah Parsons, get you excited? He's supposed to be very, very good. Uh, again, he's a guy. I don't think he, I don't think he's playing this year, right? Parsons, I think he opted out, correct? For Penn State, Parsons, I don't mm. think he's playing. But I'll I have to check know. that again. I, the Big Ten's played what, like one week of football or two weeks of football? So mm-hmm. um, I haven't really paid attention much. And then the other position, and I know Giant fans might you know squawk at this a little bit, especially since it's another very deep class. Do you pick a wide receiver really high? Do you pick a Jamar Chase? Mm. Yeah, I'd listen, I, I, I think or you go cornerback, or, or do you go Patrick Sertain out of Alabama, who's considered the best cornerback in the league? In the draft, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know enough about them. No, um, neither do I. And, I, dude, I literally, I have Mike Renner, who's a friend of the program. He's PFF's sure, draft yeah. guy. I'm literally reading names off his mock draft. <laughs> and, I, and I've heard these names. I'm aware of these players, but right. I have done zero work on them. So, yeah. zero. We're uh... – we're deep into NFL stuff right now. Yes, yes. Yeah. But I mean, from the, in, in terms of the position, other than the the people, um, I, I I would definitely consider the defensive end. It, but but again, we're not talking about a great class. But I I'm kind of tired of the free agency defensive end edge rusher guys. Um, I I just think that. You know, when they – I don't know. They get here wherever it is, and they just – I know they no, take Jeff, all that money. Simply, the great ones never become available. I mean, Khalil well, Mack doesn't yeah. reach free agency. Sure. You know sure. what I mean? He just does Watt. Maybe no. we can get him, right? He, he doesn't yeah. reach – Von Miller doesn't reach free agency. Yeah. Chandler so. Jones got traded, right? From, from New way, England those... to Arizona, these guys don't hit free agency because teams know they're so valuable. If they're yeah. due, they do want to let them go, they trade them and they get something for them. But they were also developed, right? Correct. I mean, they were good mm-hmm. coming in, but you know, so I'd rather I'd rather go to that almighty draft and start building your team through the draft, and we we can talk about this forever. But you know, that's where it comes from. You know, your 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 free agents are your gap fillers. You know, the, the guys that just you know plug up some holes here and there. But your your foundation is, comes from the draft. All right, I can't believe we just did so much offseason today. Jeez, it's freaking November 5th. (laughs) All right, Scott, New Mexico, wrap us off. Bring us back to reality, Scott. Here we are, Scott. Bring us back. (laughs) Uh, Last week I was on with you guys, uh, and I said my head was going to explode if if they kept picking on Evan Ingram. And he had a great game, obviously, at Tampa Bay. Uh, This week it's Daniel Jones, and I'm running out of body parts to explode. But... (laughs) Here's my problem. I'm going to give you a couple of quarterbacks. Uh, Joe Namath, Ken Stabler, John Elway, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, and Brett Favre. What are the two things that all of them have in common? They're all retired? No. (laughs) Well, that's true. (laughs) They all threw more interceptions than touchdowns the first three years? Uh, One of them did. Okay. But they all won Super Bowls, okay. and they all threw a multitude of interceptions. Oh, 
And here we are, and we're picking on Daniel Jones. And, and the only question I really have, since you're short on time, uh, is when I look at this list, is, there's a multitude of quarterbacks on this list that threw well over 200 interceptions. Uh, John Brody, you, you, I'm not going to go through them all, but the ones I gave you all won Super Bowls and all threw. Uh, in fact, Joe Namath led the league four times in interceptions. Yeah, different era, uh, different era. Yeah, well, it's a different era. You're still playing the quarterback position. So what, the question I'm going to ask you, and then I'll get off the air and I'll let you answer, what are the qualities? If all of these guys did what I said they did, they all won Super Bowls and they all took a voluminous amount of interceptions, what are the qualities or the standards that either of you look for to really make a good quarterback? And does Daniel Jones fit that criteria? And I'll take your answers off the air, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Well, here's the thing, too, about the interceptions. I think I'm not I'm never going to say you can live with the interceptions because they don't want to live with interceptions. But if they're happening in the context of, like, a 400-yard performance and, like, four touchdowns and you have to throw it over the field, like, you get it, right? You understand mm-hmm. that, all right, you have all these attempts. You're going to make a couple mistakes. But that was not the case. And it hasn't been the case this year. They're not throwing it 40, 50 times Situations. a game. Situations. Correct. Yeah. Right. It's it's the type of interceptions. It's not the raw total that's that's getting you. And I'll say this, too. As worrying as the picks were against Tampa very quickly, you know, missing those open receivers were maybe more so for me than 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 the interceptions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you, you got to have the ability to see those 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 receivers, you know? Well, I mean, and even seeing them, and they're just throwing it to him accurately when he did throw it to him. Yeah, I mean, he had and, four and, wide open guys that could have been big plays that he missed. Big plays, big plays, and and you know, and and the and the interceptions across the board for all the people that you mentioned, um, Scott, is that you know some and just like any other quarterback in this league, the interceptions are going to happen. You know, like the one uh, Evan Ingram off his fingertips. You know, boom, that's an interception. That's not really the quarterback's fault, but Correct. it goes down as an interception. Yes, so yes, yes. I, and I think that's why Pro Football Focus does what they do. Their analytics is showing it was it a catchable pass. You know, whose fault was it? You know, so I think that's why sometimes you could look at that those types of analytics and those types of statistics to give you a better picture sometimes. Yeah, so. I'm with you. Jeff, good yeah. stuff, my friend. Fun show. Yeah, John, thank you. All yep. right, tomorrow I believe it is Detino and Lands. They will do more of a hardcore preview of Giants and Washington. We had that good sound today. I want to do something a little bit different. They can preview the game for you guys tomorrow. And then, of course, make sure you check out Jeff and I. will be on the pregame show with Lance and Paul on Sunday at 1130 on WFN in New York. If you're on our radio network across the country, uh, the network pregame show starts at noon. So make sure you check us out. It also streams on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app, along with the rest of our podcast network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find it on the Giants mobile app, Giants.com slash podcast. And the archive is also on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star positive review if you like what you hear. And the best way to grow these things, folks, if you know Giant fans that, that want to listen to some fun, at least we hope, fun and interesting Giant talk, just tell them about the show. And the more people we have listened and the more cool stuff we'll be able to do. Jeff, we'll see you on Sunday, pal. Okay. Thank you, John. Enjoy, thank you for everybody. Enjoy yep. your weekend, everybody. See you then. Stay safe.